0: How's everyone doing tonight? Doing well? Uh, Welcome to week five of the Lent series. Uh, We've been walking through on Wednesday night called Making Room for God. Uh, It's good to have everyone here in Green Bay and also in Stevens Point and Appleton. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, Well, I am 39 years old, and in May, I turned 40. So I hope you've all been planning on what presents you plan on getting for me. I wanted to give you plenty of advance notice. You've got a couple months to put together all your thoughts on what you're going to give me for turning 40. Uh, But tonight, I thought I would walk you through uh, the past 22 years of the different places that I've lived. Uh, Since I've turned 18, I went out and uh, was on my own and went off to Bible school. I I moved from Marshfield, Wisconsin to... Texas and went down there in a car that had metal on the tires. I thought I was cool, like the metal was going through the tires. That's how bald they were. I thought, man, I can really stretch these tires far. I'm really incredible. I had no idea how stupid I was to drive on bald tires like that across the country, but I went to Texas Bible Institute. uh, The first place that I ever lived was a dumpy dorm room with a bunch of smelly guys first place I lived, not very exciting living quarters. Maybe some of you have experienced this. It was a room that had a couple of bunk beds. Uh, there was a shower in our room. I don't think you could get the mold out of that shower. These were some disgusting men or uh, boys trying to become men. And that was the first place I lived. It was a, it was a humble beginning. Um, when I finished that up, I moved back to Marshfield, Wisconsin. I, got, uh, I lived in a duplex with another guy. Once again, when you've got a couple guys living together, these places are disgusting. Can any men relate? If there's no women in the house, how disgusting those places can get and hands are up all over the room. Uh, Women make our lives pretty amazing and this place was terrible. Uh, It wasn't much of a place to call home and it was you know, a little upgrade from what I had in college. It was our own place. It wasn't a bunch of guys, uh, but it wasn't anything very nice. And from there, I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, so I headed down to Tulsa and got a place with Phil Gunger. Now, you'd think these two amazing, upstanding young men could have a great apartment, but that couldn't be further from the truth. This place was, in fact, a dump. It it was was a little upgrade from what I had. You know, I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. We had a pool. We thought that was pretty cool. Uh, It was a two-bedroom apartment. Uh, Nothing overly special, but it smelled, especially when we got Chinese food. We'd get Chinese food and put it in the fridge. We'd save it to the next day, open the fridge, and the whole apartment would just smell rancid. And these two guys, you know, little upgrade in my life. But I continued to grow in that apartment apartment And I uh, got another roommate. he was worse than Phil um, he, he didn 't even have a regular name. his name was bonta he couldn 't even have a regular name. You know when a guy only goes by his nickname that there 's something wrong with that guy, and uh, he was smellier and it was worse. But you know, hey, continuing to move along in life uh, eventually, I met my beautiful wife, and uh, we got married and when we got married after that, I moved out of the dumpy apartment and we got a new apartment. Now this apartment was cool. This was up on the hill. Uh, This was a classy place. The day I moved out, I literally took everything in my apartment and just threw it in the dumpster. Didn't keep a thing, I'm like, just throw it all away. I don't wanna ever see this or smell this or touch this stuff again. It could cause some diseases. So we just threw it all away. (laughs) threw it in the dumpster and, uh, and then moved into the new place with my wife. Now this place was really cool. It was up on a hill, it had a great view. This apartment had two pools, two hot tubs, a workout facility, gorgeous place. Uh, we had a deck and we felt like we got a major upgrade. So we lived there for a short period of time. And uh, after that, we stayed in the same place, but we upgraded, we moved uh, higher on up in these apartments and now we had two bedrooms, two bathrooms a huge deck we had a fireplace in our apartment and then we thought man we are moving on up to the east side you know it was good times and we were improving in life Uh, after that my wife uh, after we've been married for a while uh, she was pregnant with our first Dylan and we thought man we can't stay in apartment we need to get a house so we decided let's, let's finish our lease at the apartment and we need to look for a house. And so between the house and the apartment, we got to live in a mansion, I kid you not. We were upgraded big time. Uh, we moved into a mansion, we didn't live in it, but we lived in what they called the carriage house. This was a nice place. Uh, now we had our own private pool, we had a mansion, we lived on one of the most beautiful estates in all of Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was pretty sweet. And from there, we got our first house. And we moved from this little tiny thing in my life with the guys in the smelly dormitory through the apartments, and now we had our first house. And then in 2007, we moved to Green Bay. Uh, We're trying to sell our house. It didn't sell, and we got downgraded. We moved in with Lynn and Lathan and lived in their basements. (laughs) Now, you don't want to go live in your parents' basement when you're married and have a kid. Just a little piece of advice. But we survived, and it wasn't bad. It was nicer than our first house. But, you know, we're chilling in the basement. And, you know, we survived, and eventually our house did sell, and now we live in our second home, and it's beautiful, and we love it, and it could be a forever place for us. And we just continued increasing and growing. Uh, There's a verse found in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 2, and it says this. Enlarge the place of your tent stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. I saw none of those verses went on the screen, so believe me, I'm not making any of those verses up. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. And do you know when this was penned, It was written when the nation of Israel was not doing well. Uh, They were beat down. They were defeated. They were suffering. This was written when the nation of Israel was about to enter into 70 years of exile when these words were prophesied. On this stage, I've got several tents, a bunch of different tents, you know, and maybe this tent represents you right now. This is an American girl tent, these little dolls. My daughter's got an American girl tent. And maybe this tent represents you. And you know, we all start in a tent that looks like this. We all start in a simple beginning, whether it's maybe you're starting off in a new marriage or maybe you're getting going, starting a business or you've just started a brand new career, Maybe you're in college and you're getting going in that. We all start in a tent that looks like it was built for G.I. Joe or G.I. Jane. Uh, Raising kids. Maybe it's being single or maybe you're newly single. We all start in a simple little tent. But the Bible talks about increasing. The Bible talks about growing. Jesus tells a parable to his disciples, and it's the the parable of the talents. You're familiar with it. The master goes away, and uh, there's three servants, and he entrusts one of the servants with five talents, he entrusts another with two, and entrusts the last one with one talent. And eventually, the master returns. And the servant that was entrusted with five talents doubles it. He multiplies it and it turns into ten talents. The one with two doubles it and turns it into four. But the one with one just sits on it and does nothing. And the words that are said about this guy in the Bible, they're not very encouraging words. These are words like gnashing of teeth. Uh, These are words like weeping, outer darkness. I'm not exactly sure what all of those things mean, but I don't want to be crying while my teeth are being ground down to nothing. These are not very encouraging words. And God has always called us to increase in life. There's a section of scripture in John chapter 12 where it's coming close to Palm Sunday. We're coming upon Good Friday and ultimately Easter, which is where we find ourselves right here today. So let's take a look. John chapter 12, verse 20. It says, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said it was an angel that had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for the judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Here we see that these Greeks... Basically representative of the majority of the known world in that day that spoke Greek. They came and they wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus goes into an analogy about agriculture. He says that if that kernel of wheat just stays there, nothing's going to happen. That it has to go into the ground. And it has to die, and if it dies, it will produce many seeds. That it would be multiplied. That through the death, the seed would multiply. And Jesus basically here is giving an analogy of his own death, burial, and resurrection. And that through that, people wouldn't only see Jesus but that they could know Jesus, that they could be drawn to him in relationship and experience, encounter, and know the love of God. And then Jesus doesn't just leave that analogy to himself. He then says that we as followers of Jesus would experience something quite the same. So Jesus talks about the seed dying, and he goes on to talk about the similar process that we would experience, and that through this we could experience eternal life He's talking about suffering, that he's going to suffer and die. And nobody wants to suffer. And I get it. I don't want to suffer. We don't want to experience suffering. We don't want to walk through suffering. In fact, we have built whole industries in America around never having to leave our homes. That's how much we don't want to suffer Like, it's not like, you know, maybe you know a guy that one day ordered something online and it showed up at his house. No, things have changed tremendously. Like, for example, have you processed the fact that you can, like, pick up a device and you can order anything? You can just be like, I want bananas, I want hammers, and I want an eagle's beak. And it'll be delivered on your doorstep by Amazon the next morning. This is insane what we can do. We don't even have to leave our homes anymore. Entire industries are building up around this. You realize you don't have to leave your home to see anybody. You should, but you don't have to. You can just pick up two devices that are similar and say, hi. And someone will wave back at you and say hi. And then you can wave and say bye. And you can do this all on your cell phones with never having to leave your home again. We don't want to suffer as Americans. Uh, in First Peter, it's this book that's primarily about this idea of suffering and how to walk through it. In First Peter chapter five, verse 10, it says this. It says, "But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you." There are benefits to your suffering. You know, we all love the miracles. We all love the blessings. We all love walking in strength, but we don't want to suffer. However, if you're going to become something, if you're going to grow in life, if you're going to have a greater impact, if you're going to increase, if you're going to move from the little Barbie tent all the way up onto the big tent, you are going to have to go through some things in your life. And all the aspects of your life are equipping you to do what God has called you to do. It's amazing, as followers of Jesus Christ, God has opened up this amazing world that we can step into, this beautiful life that he's called us into, but you're going to have to stretch into it. You're gonna have to grow into it, just like that kernel of wheat has to go into the ground and it has to die so that it can multiply. So we too need to go into the ground so that we can mature, so that we can experience more. And what God is looking for in our lives is fruitfulness fruitfulness on your job, fruitfulness in your marriage, fruitfulness in your single life, fruitfulness with raising kids, fruitfulness with where you're connected at in the church. God is always asking you in your lives to go from the small tent to the big tent. So we should be growing in our abilities with the fruit of the spirit. Like we should grow in our ability to love. So how do you do that? How do you grow in your ability to love? You do that by loving difficult people which means you're gonna to have to suffer a little bit because you gotta to talk to some people that you aren't just like. You're gonna to have to talk to some people that are different than you. It's easy to love people that are like you. It's not as easy to love people that are different than you, but that right there is where you get stretched. So we need to be growing. We need to be stretching. We need to enlarge our territory and expand our tents, but where this happens is the journey between the tents, It's the journey that we're on and the battle is between the tents. It's the journey between the tents that prepares you, that equips you for the bigger tent in your life. You know, I wish that all of life was just jumping from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop and then we die and we go to heaven and it's all over. But that's not life. There will be mountaintops, but there will also be valleys that we walk through. But I've been to Colorado, up on the mountaintops, and that is not where the fruit grows. Rather, the fruit grows in the valleys. It's in the struggles. It's in the trials. It's in the suffering. It's in the valleys where that fruit begins to grow in your life. So back to 1 P- Peter, this book about suffering. In chapter 1, I encourage you to go and read it. Chapter 1 talks about various kinds of trials. Chapter 1 also talks about suffering in your personal life. Chapter 2 will talk about political and social life and in your work life. Chapter 3 talks about struggling in your faith life and how to conduct yourself while you're suffering as a follower of God. It talks about suffering in relationships and in marriage. It talks about that you shouldn't consider it a strange thing that you're suffering in chapter four. Chapter five talks about the fact that the devil wants to destroy you and actually bring suffering into your life. Peter here is telling you and me that we are going to go through some things in life. And if you are going through a trial, if you are going through something that sounds like suffering today, that means that God is getting ready to take you somewhere. That's why in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So there's this talk in the book of Peter where it goes through chapter 1 all the way through chapter 5, where we hear about suffering, and then we come upon this verse in number 6, verse 6 in chapter 5, and it says, therefore, anytime you see a therefore, you need to see what it's there for, and it says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Did you hear that? We get all of this book, Five chapters talking about all this different kind of suffering. It talks about trials, problems, issues in your life, challenges, trials on the job, trials in your faith, trials in your marriage, trials because Satan wants to destroy you in your life. And then we get to verse six and it says, therefore, after you've gone through all of this, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. He may exalt you in due time. And it says, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Next it says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He says that some of what you may be going through is because the devil is real and he wants to put suffering into your life. And the devil walks around like a lion looking for somebody to devour. So what do you do when the devil's trying to devour you? He says, resist him. Verse nine, steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You know what that verse means? It means that I know that at times you feel like you're the only one going through something, but you're not. There's others that are going through something. Last week in our Bible study, we went through this idea of lament basically talking to God and letting him know about the things that aren't right and the things that you would love to see change and the things that you haven't seen change through your prayers and that at times, God, it seems like you're gone. But God, I still have faith in you. And God, I believe you are going to work all of this out talking to God and saying, God, I believe that my due season is due, and I'm asking you to move in my life, and I'm putting my trust in you. And in the middle of the battle, God, I am still going to give you praise no matter what. I'm not in this thing all by myself. In fact, we know people that have gone through things similar, and you can see our brothers and sisters around the world that have gone through things, and you can say if they've been through it, and they struggled well and they made it through, then so can I. If that person who is suffering has made it through, then so can I. And it builds each other's faith when we walk through what we walked through. Verse 10 says this, but I've got this friend to save the innocent. I'll call him Wayne. Wayne has a big butt. He's got a big old butt. And when Wayne walks in the room, there's literally a shift in the atmosphere boom, Wayne walks in the room. But in literature means that there is a shift taking place, that there is going to be a shift in the atmosphere. It means that something is about to change. When you see but in a sentence, something's about to change. Something happened before, but there is something that is coming after the but. God gives us this big but here, and it says before the but there was trial. Before the but, there was suffering. Before the but, there was drama and hardships. But after the but, there's a shift in the atmosphere. But may the God of all grace, he's the God of all grace. He can give you everything you need to be and everything you need to do what he's called you to do. But may the God of all grace who called us into his eternal glory. And then it says, there's some benefits coming your way. You are getting a bigger tense, but it comes after you have suffered a little while. There are benefits. The verse goes on to say, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So this happens after you've suffered a while. Number one, It says it will perfect you. Here's what this means. It means that God is going to complete you thoroughly. You know, if I, this morning, would have gotten out of the shower and shaved half of my face, I would only be half done. I would look like an idiot. And some of you, you jump out of suffering so fast that you don't let God complete the work he's trying to do inside of you. God is trying to do something, and when he completes it, we are perfected. God wants to perfect you. He wants to complete you thoroughly because after you've suffered a little while, there is perfection. Number two, he said he's going to establish you That means God is going to move you. God is going to point you in the correct direction. Some of you, you feel like you're lost in life. Some of you feel like you don't know what to do in life. But when you walk through something with God, when you've gone through some suffering, there is clarity of thought of what you are supposed to do in your life. It also means that you're established and firm in your faith. So when bumps in the road come, if you stay with it and hold on to God, then you know without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is real. Because there's no way I could have made it through what I made it through without God being with me. When you walk through suffering with God and you don't give up, God will perfect you, God will establish you. And number three, it says God will strengthen you. That means you are now strong in different areas of your life. You are strong in thought. And truth be told, some of you people are just crazy. I have met a lot of you, and you're nuts. In fact, there are two or three people in your row right now that are not playing with a full deck of cards. Look around. In fact, there is someone sitting in your seat right now that is crazy. True story. But when you walk through suffering in your life, It will make you strong in faith. It will make you strong in wisdom. It will make you strong in emotions. And some of you, you just don't think right about a lot of different things. You don't care for people right. You don't love right. You don't act right. And what we see is on the other side of suffering, we're strengthened in our life that we draw closer to God and he perfects us through the process. You're strengthened on the other side of suffering. And then lastly, number four, God is going to settle you. That means that you're going to be more stable in your life. That example that we see in the Bible about the house that was built on the sand, that the wind and the waves came and it knocked it over. But the house built on the rock, it lasted and it stood. God will settle you in the process of suffering so tonight we're finishing up our series of making room for god we'll have our baptisms at all of our campuses next week Uh, we're gonna break into groups for discussion around these ideas so uh, at the campuses we'll break away from you and uh, pastor lathan he can come on up and let us know what we are doing next